1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com. And with the KDUS 1060 app, only a few more days for me to be able to say this for you. Sixth row hoops tickets available Downtown Phoenix is the contest location. All the food, all the drinks included with your sixth row hoops tickets. To be a winner, to be eligible, download the KDOS 1060 app. Make sure you register. That's a key component so we can figure out who you are as you have clicked in for the listener reward opportunities. Once you do that, we'll be drawing a winner for those sixth row hoops tickets. The contest going through the end of January, so just a few more days remain. In addition to that, uh, next week is the WM Phoenix Open, and we have GA tickets for you Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, those tickets also awarded through the KDOS 1060 app. So download that and get involved. It is the extra point here on this Monday, January 29th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today. Plenty of reaction to the AFC championship game, the NFC championship game. But first, let's set the scene here with today's poll questions and we'll get things started with the KDOS 1060.com poll question in regards to... Did you believe at any point this season that the Chiefs were finished Finished, and the masses are now on the yes side of things at 60% of the vote, no sitting at 40%? Yeah, if people have listened just occasionally during the regular season, I think they know the answer, my answer to this question. <laughs> so uh, don't think there's going to be a lot of drama when we get to the uh, poll question answers at the, uh, at the bottom of the next hour. But the, uh, the Chiefs... Uh, Two road wins in a row uh, to uh, reach the Super Bowl for a fifth, uh, fourth time, fourth time in five years after they won the two road games at Buffalo and San Fran, you know, Buffalo and uh, Baltimore, excuse me. That's a question we'll officially answer today around 12.30. Plenty of time for you to cast your vote. Tossing it on over to X at KDOS AM 1060. Should Dan Campbell be criticized for his second half fourth down decisions during Sunday's 34-31 loss to the 49ers? Yes, leading the way here at 75.6% of the vote. No trailing at 24.4%. Seems like the most of the criticism, and you know, I watched ESPN and NFL Network last night, uh, watched uh, ESPN again this morning, uh, Lil Callan Cowherd this morning, and listened to a couple of podcasts this morning. Seems as though the majority of the criticism is the lack of consistency here because he didn't go for it at the end of the first half from the two-yard line and then went for it when he had a chance to add points, especially when it was up uh, you know, more than two scores. Could have gone up 17 uh, with the uh, the first time that he uh, bypassed that in the second half. That seems to be where the large majority, at least where I've listened, the majority of the criticism has come in the last few hours. 
Yeah, the consistency element of things. And then I know this is not part of the question because it's not a fourth down decision, but the absolute clock mismanagement to essentially give yourself no chance to win or tie the game because you had to burn a timeout. That whole sequence there as things got down to the goal line in crunch time uh, was also mismanaged. Well... I'm going to pat myself on the back here a little bit. Uh, I mean, I said many times during the season, and really for three seasons now, especially the last season and a half with the Lions, I really acknowledge what Campbell has done as a motivator and so forth. Also, I think that Brad Holmes, the uh, general manager, actually should get more credit than Campbell because he's Holmes has done an amazing job drafting players and putting this team together. Uh, but you know, Campbell's done a great job. I love him as a motivator. Uh, I said many times during the season, I don't want him coaching my team on game day. Something that we'll officially answer today around 1230. We may have tipped our hand about where we're going with the answer of that, but uh, we'll give our a full analysis around 1230 today. In addition to tipping my hand for like five months, but <laughs> yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, we'll take your phone calls if you'd like to chime in and offer up your analysis of the AFC NFC championship games. Or if you'd like to talk about the Phoenix Suns as well, feel free to do so. 1130 and 1215 are about the times We'll take those calls. 602-260-1060 is the number. 602-260-1060. We were unable to secure a victory over the weekend. Our Vaughn Hansen's weekend bet um, the game between the Lions and the 49ers. It was supposed to fall under for our bet to hit, and the game uh, sailed over there with um, the Lions getting off to a 24-point first half. The 49ers storming back with a 27-point second half. So all in all, though, we're still doing fantastic uh, on the year, and we'll look to get back in the winner's column this Friday. As we, the listener did not pay attention to me last week. For five days last week, I said, if Debo can play and the weather's okay, I'm going to bet this game over. That's also true. Uh, We'll get into the AFC and NFC championship games, those games distinctly. Then we'll also kind of dissect what this means for each team moving forward. The Ravens side of things, uh, the Lions side of things as those that have had their seasons end, as well as the Chiefs and the 49ers whose season continues representing in the Super Bowl. So let's get things started, though, with the AFC championship game with the Chiefs winning 17 to 10 over the Ravens. The Chiefs took the ball on their first two possessions, marched down the field to score some touchdowns. It was a good mix of Isaiah Pacheco feeding Travis Kelsey big time, who ended up with 10 catches in the first half. But then the Chiefs were unable to score in the second half. If you look at their possessions, it went three plays, seven yards, punt, eight plays, 23 yards, punt, three plays, four yards, punt, seven plays, 32 yards, punt, three plays, seven yards, punt, six plays, 50 yards. That ended up sealing the game for the Chiefs. I think part of that second half, uh, you know, possession problem, quote unquote, is because I just think that they realize that the Ravens are never going to catch up because the Ravens were inept offensively and had horrendous play calling. The Ravens, let's talk about that. Uh, They answered the bell with a touchdown drive after an opening three and out, but then after that, it was just completely head-scratching play calling. Nine passes to just three runs, 
and that was when you were either tied or down seven. So there was no reason to abandon the run. Uh, overall for the game, Gus Edwards had just three carries for 20 yards. That seems inexcusable to me for a team that's built to run. In addition to that, there were really not too many designed run calls for Lamar or read options. Also, we had talked about how Willie Gay, if he was going to be inactive, which he ended up being for the Chiefs as the spy for the Ravens, could have really been a benefit to Lamar and getting that run game going. Yeah, even though you know the Chiefs, I thought did a really good, much better job of uh, keeping their lanes, and they really didn't rush the passer. They played just you know they kind of uh, you know they had guys that were down defensive linemen. Other than Chris Jones, it seemed like there was just kind of uh, let's not get out of our lane here. I think that that actually had a lot to do with uh, cutting down the the options for Lamar. Uh, Todd Munkin, who I you know, criticized for months whether that hire was going to work or not, and then I relented last week that you know, I was wrong about him. Well, maybe I was right about him. Uh, they called six running plays for running backs the entire game. Six. And this for the team, not just Lamar that ran the ball well last year, during the season. They went through a whole bunch of running backs. It didn't really seem to matter who the running back was, quite frankly. And they still were amongst the leading uh, rushing teams in the NFL. Might even been number one by the end of the season. But six rushing attempts in 57 offensive plays. Six rushing attempts by the running backs in 57 snaps. Yeah, it's inexcusable to me. Uh, Zay Flowers, on his side of things, giveth and taketh. Five catches, 115 yards. But then after the huge play, he gets the taunting penalty, which moved them from the 10 back to the 25. Then four plays later, he has uh, an opportunity stretching the ball out to the goal line, and he ends up fumbling. So the play results in no points when it was 17-7 to start the fourth there. I've been saying, and I'm not the only person, it's a long line from like here to Baltimore uh, from people that have said, you don't stretch the ball at the goal line because that can happen. And it happened in the last two weeks in playoff games. Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing to me that this kind of continues to happen. And uh, it happens on all levels of football. And, uh, you know, if I were a head coach, you know, I would uh, bench guys, quite frankly, or at least take away some kind of, some form of punishment. I guess you can't find them, especially if it's college, even though with NIL money, NIL money, yeah. Uh, maybe you can find college players now, <laughs> but uh, I don't know what the, you know, it, it's just inexplicable to me that this continues to happen. And every year, uh, and now we've seen it two straight weeks, uh, big games are decided or big, uh, you know, maybe not quote decided, but huge parts of these games are, you know, swung by these just ignorant, stupid plays. Uh. Yeah, and I'm very curious because if you go back to that Bills-Chiefs game where you're referring to the fumble out of the back of the end zone, so turnover to the other team there, to the Bills, uh, and yeah. the uproar of this rule needs to be changed, etc., and a lot of defensive players that are now speaking in the media uh, in their roles talked about, no, we like this rule because this is the only real rule that is advantageous to the defense. Everything else is pretty yeah. skewed offensively. 
Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And I've been talking about every rules change and really professional sports, at least the three that we care about, at least that I care about. Uh, you know, baseball, basketball, football. Almost every rule change in the last 30 years has been for more offense. Give the defense a chance, God forbid. And this is the one thing that actually gives them at least one chance to do something right and be rewarded for it. I want to bring it back to Zay Flowers, and I don't know that I want uh, I don't want this to be such an oversimplification here, but specifically kind of losing his cool in that moment and not realizing the bigger picture of the situation with the taunting penalty. I know you're excited that you made this big play and he did something great for the team, and you're also trying to kind of pump him up a little bit to get something started here in the second half, but you can't have those mental lapses in that moment. Is that sometimes why more uh, why coaches don't like playing rookies in these types of situations just because they lose their head a little bit. Not, not to me. I mean, I had a far bigger problem with him trying to you know, get the ball over the goal line than I did the taunting penalty. Uh, I can almost understand to some extent the taunting penalty. It's an emotional game, etc. But, I mean, I'm just saying it's right. But I had a much bigger problem with the other thing, which just shouldn't ever be allowed by any good coach any good team, that should not happen. Let me empty the bucket here on some things here in this game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes threw for just 241 yards. I say just 241 because in his uh, first four career games against the Ravens, he threw for at least 343 in those games. So I guess they contained him. Uh, he completed his first 10 passes in this last game yesterday. Uh, the Chiefs scored touchdowns on 84 and 75-yard drives in their first two drives. That's more than actually – that's more points than the Ravens obviously had the entire game. Mahomes now 10-1-1 against the spread as an underdog. And guess who's the underdog in February 11th, at least right <laughs> now. I don't think their favorite's going to change, even though the point spread has certainly changed one whole point in the last less than 24 hours. Travis Kelsey has been reborn. He caught all 11 targets from Mahomes yesterday for 116 yards and a touchdown. And according to CBS, that was the first touchdown that Ravens safety Kyle Hamilton allowed this season in man-to-man coverage. So the Chiefs are headed to their fourth Super Bowl in five seasons. Will they be healthy, though? You mentioned Willie Gay with the neck and also Joe Tooney with the pack. Uh, they were obviously inactive and did not play yesterday. Baltimore going home again. Jim Nance, in his pregame introduction, said that this is, quote, legacy day for Lamar, end of quote. Turned into a nightmare day for Lamar. Multiple inaccurate throws, uh, mental breakdowns by his teammates on both sides of the ball. Quarterbacks just cannot miss open receivers in a championship game. You cannot. That's like just taking points off the board when you don't make those plays. Uh, we mentioned Todd Munkin. I just don't understand the six carries by running backs in 57 offensive snaps. Also, the Ravens primarily a zone defensive scheme. I think that burned them. Mahomes is you know basically torched zone his entire career. Uh, they tried some man coverage in the second half, the Ravens, but that's not going to work. I mean, you don't do that the whole season. And when the season's on the line, you have to try to resort to that. 
that would be like my me trying to you know run like a two ten to hundred meters or something. Right? It, it ain't gonna happen. Uh, it's you know, if you don't do something previously, it's not gonna change when you need it, and that happened yesterday. And the Ravens really had no excuses yesterday. Mark Andrews' ankle and uh, you know Marlon Humphreys with the calf injury. They both played from the start of the game yesterday. Uh, just some other numbers. The Chiefs 8 of 18 on third down. Meanwhile, the Ravens were 3 of 11 on third down. I uh, wanted to go back briefly to Lamar and discuss um, at 6.54 to play in the game there, he threw that interception in the end zone trying to feed it to Isaiah Likely. Was that just him being a little triple bit... Co- triple coverage. Yes, triple coverage. Um, the, I don't know here because Isaiah likely, when he just got off the ball, he threw his hand up in the air like, I'm open, and then triple coverage. So I don't know if that threw Lamar off there or it just flat-out poor decision. I think the hurry-up offense also played a role. I totally agree with your analogy there on both those cases but also the fact that they were in a you know, hurry-up offense. I'm all for that. But you don't have to go, you know, like, you know, fast as humanly possible between every snap. Uh, you got to get it right. And I think that that had something to do with it. It was just a boom, boom, boom. And uh, the fact that, you know, they'd gone from, like, the one-yard line to, like, the, what, the 23 or 24 when that play was snapped. Uh, you know, they'd done a nice job – you know, as Hank Stram just said back in the day, matriculating the ball down the field. But you didn't have to go 100 miles an hour at that point. So, all in all, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to their fourth Super Bowl in six years. On the other side of the break, let's dissect a little bit more into what this now means for the Ravens. Some key unrestricted free agents for them ahead. And then also... What potentially is on the horizon for them uh, coaching staff wise? And we'll get into kind of some of the narratives that have been surrounding the Ravens as such and how that lends itself into the offseason. It is the extra point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Don't forget, there's only a few more days left in the month of January. Yeah, this month is flying by. Uh, Make sure you're downloading the KDOS 1060 app and get yourself registered so you can follow along with the listener reward opportunities for you to get yourself eligible for those six-throw hoop tickets contest taking place downtown Phoenix. All the drink, all the food included. That's with the KDOS 1060 app. It's the Extra Point. Have you downloaded the KDUS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Dude. Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is male chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. Welcome back to Extra Point on this Monday, January 29th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. A little bit more on the Baltimore Ravens. You know, it's such a crash landing. You spend from July in training camp, getting yourselves ready for the football season, doing whatever you need to do to get your body ready to play week in and week out, make it to the playoffs, and then, boom, the season is over. There's no more football for 
for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they were the number one it, it, seed. It's, it's kind of like a finality of, you know, I've thought about that with all professional sports and teams that make a, you know, deep playoff runs and whatever, but boom, it's over and it's over. And it's, you know, my God, what do we do now? <laughs> and you're dealing with the emotions of the loss and everything. It's, yeah. it, it's certainly yeah. a, a hard crash landing. Uh, they were the number one seed. Yeah. They also were the Good. top. I like the term crash landing, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you. Uh, they were the number one seed. They were also the top-ranked defense. They were also at home and couldn't get it done to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs here. So I think for the Ravens, you also have to ask and answer some tough questions uh, in the offseason because you seem to address some of the other issues uh, that you had and put yourselves in in this position to be hosting this game and still couldn't get it done. Absolutely. Um, you know, I heard somebody mention last night that maybe we shouldn't have given them as much credit as we did after the, uh, you know, the divisional playoff win. Cause that was against a uh, Texans team that was just, uh, you know, first time they weren't even supposed to be, you know, basically I think their season win total was like five or six and that actually went up. Uh, before we got to the season. So there were no expectations. Nobody expected them to be there, la-di-da. So was that win really that good? Uh, I'm not sure where I you know, you know, side on that uh, argument, but I did hear it mentioned more than once in the last 24 hours, so maybe there's something to that. But it just you – know, the game yesterday was very reminiscent to the other Ravens playoff losses in the Lamar Jackson era. It wasn't just him. It was, uh, you know, yesterday was even more ridiculous as far as just the, uh, you know, the personal foul penalties and, uh, you know, which, you know, Josh Alper talked about during the sports zone in the last hour. And, you know, the play calling we talked about with Bunkin, there was seemingly more going on this time around, but it was very, it resembled when when we watched the Ravens fall in the playoffs in past years. You know, it's interesting you brought up that you heard people maybe giving that victory over the Texans more credit. I don't know that my opinion of the Ravens changed at all from that game, really, per se. It was more, you know, the questions of Lamar and his performance was was good in that game. For me, the big change for, oh, this Ravens team is good and can and can really get it done is how they performed against the 49ers on on Christmas Day. That, for me, was when I said, oh, this Ravens team is for real. Yeah, even though I try not to make one game completely swing my opinion of a team, uh, maybe a confirmation, uh, maybe that would be good. But I just thought that was more just an atrocious performance from San Francisco than it was a dominating great performance from Baltimore, not taking anything away from them on that game. But... That was kind of the deal, at least what I thought at the, at the time. And um, maybe uh, there's been times, absolutely there's been times, where I've just been uh, you know, too stubborn in my beliefs and I'm not going to change about one game no matter what happens, one way or the other. And I, I fully admit that that's got me in some trouble over the years. But I think more times than not, it's actually kept me somewhat, somewhat level-headed. I like to take the big picture of things as opposed to what I saw last or just you know, judge everything on one tremendous performance. 
The unrestricted free agents for the Ravens here. Wide receiver Nelson Aguilar for him on the season. It was 35 catches, 381 yards, four touchdowns. Wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr., 35 catches, 565 yards, and three touchdowns. Curious to see if the philosophy stays the same of trying to get maybe some more older veterans on like a one-year deal to continue to round out the wide receiver core or some of the other, um, like a T. Higgins or something like that to try that would be commanding some, some more money if that's the direction they're going to go to fill out the wide receiver core. I'm not, I apologize. I have no idea what their salary cap situation is. Not a clue. Um, they just paid Lamar, so I'm guessing it can't be great. Uh, so I'm not sure what's up with that. Uh, they'd have to pay a lot for Higgins. Uh, I think the assumption by most is that Higgins is going to leave Cincinnati. Uh, but also be nice if Higgins caught the ball with more consistency. I'd have a tough time paying him a lot of money for a lot of years because I just I've watched – Going back, really, the, you were there with me that game, the Ohio State-Clemson game in the bowl game here. He dropped a bunch of passes in that game and got basically used in that game by the Ohio State secondary. Unfortunately, Ohio State's offense didn't do very well. In fact, they did horribly in the second half of that game. But I'm not sure what I think of Higgins. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Beckham, unfortunately, he just can't stay in the field for a ton of plays because of all the injuries and especially the two knee surgeries in recent years. And, you know, that's, they, did a, they did a tremendous job of limiting his snaps during the season, but they, I think, needed somebody that was more healthy and could play longer in games and play a lot of snaps in games. I think they needed that yesterday. Uh, also, running back J.K. Dobbins will be a free agent. So will Gus Edwards, 198 carries for him, 810 yards, 13 touchdowns, as well as guard Kevin Zietler. Uh, that was kind of some of the major offensive yeah. players I noticed that will be unrestricted free agents defensively. And, uh, and Dobbins, of course, is coming off the Achilles injury. Correct. Defensive end Jadavian Clowney for him, 43 tackles, nine and a half sacks, five passes defended, two forced fumbles on the season. Uh, defensive tackle Justin Matabuke, who obviously was fantastic, 56 tackles, 13 sacks. Linebacker Patrick Queen, 133 tackles, three and a half sacks. Linebacker Kyle Van Noy and cornerback Arthur Millette, some of the defensive players in all. It'll be 23 unrestricted free agents for the Ravens. I would be trying to keep their defensive guys a lot more than the offensive guys that you mentioned. And, uh, we'll see where that leads. Uh, you know, you know, obviously, uh, you know, a couple of those guys played especially well yesterday. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, some of them played really well for the majority of the season. But to me, they've got to figure out some way where they just don't play heavy zone all the time. And when they have to play man – at some point in the postseason, which is going to happen, they've got to be able to at least do that and be passable. Uh, this usually happens more in basketball, to me at least, in college basketball than it does in the NFL. But you got a lot of teams that play zone defense in college basketball, and at some point they have to go to man defense in the NCAA tournament, and that just turns into a layup festival because they just can't do it. And that's what I actually thought of yesterday with the Ravens. They tried some man-to-man in the second half, and that, that was just a joke. <laughs> that wasn't going to work, and Mahomes just torches you in zone coverage. And if you're, gonna, you gotta, if you're the Ravens, yeah, it's got to be, how can you beat Kansas City? How can you beat 
Patrick Mahomes or you know have a better chance to beat him, and he's destroyed them over the years more than he has even most teams, and it's because he's great against zone defense, and that's pretty much all you play. Well, that is another question, Mark. On the defensive side of the ball here, Mike McDonald, uh, what direction do you go if he ends up getting a head coaching job? He does, I believe, have an interview today with the commanders. Uh, He's been coordinating the defense here for the Ravens. And then also on the offensive side of the ball, uh, you know, I imagine you're going to continue forward with Todd Munkin and that offense. So how do you build on year one and make sure that a performance uh, in in a schematic standpoint from yesterday doesn't happen again? I have no answers to those questions. I think that they're outstanding, excellent, and obvious questions in some cases uh, that have to be asked. And uh, I wish I had an answer, but I don't. Uh, you can't go get another Michigan offensive coordinator because, you know, Minter is, you know, as we anticipated when Harbaugh got the job in San Diego, or excuse me, with the Chargers, there we go again. <laughs> I'll never get over this San Diego thing. Uh, the Chargers. Uh, but, you know, he officially got that job over the weekend. On the other side, we'll take your phone calls if you'd like to chime in, 602-260-1060. We'll also dive into the Chiefs side of things a little bit injury-wise, some of the, the key players that stood out and what's next for them, obviously being in the Super Bowl in just shy of two weeks from now, 602-260-1060. Then we'll save the uh, big breakdown of the NFC Championship game for our number two. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 as always follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos1060 app make sure you're downloading that app apple and android users get involved make sure you register as well key component to all of this as we have the sixth row hoops tickets game contested downtown phoenix all the drinks all the food included also wm phoenix open general admission tickets are all part of the listener rewards happening now with the kdos 1060 app back after this Teams Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night starting at 7 on KTUS AM 1060 and the KTUS 1060 app. Welcome back to Extra Point on this Monday, January 29th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. The Chiefs dissecting their their side of things here and how they're uh, punching their ticket to play in the Super Bowl in just less than two weeks from now. I want to first start with Travis Kelsey. 11 catches for him on 11 targets, 116 yards, one touchdown. And it looked like the Kelsey and Mahomes connection of old there, uh, especially in the first half. And I think Travis Kelsey, for me, his... His performance was expected against the Bills because you had all of the injuries to the linebacking core, so that made a lot of sense here. And then a little bit of it is that Mahomes is going to find ways and Kelsey seems to just find ways to get it done, but I'm not sure I was expecting 11 catches on 11 targets. No, I wasn't either, but not to deflect away from Kelsey's excellence here, but once again, who is the king of tight ends against zone defenses? It's not just Mahomes. It's also Kelsey. You have to have you know, guys that are really good and excel in zone defense situations as receivers are guys that are so smart 
that they just automatically, even without thinking probably, because they've done it so frequently, they just get to the open spot. And those two obviously have a connection, but it's, you know, Kelsey has to go to the right place where, you know, there's, you know, whole, you know basically holes in the zone. And he, he did that. You know, I've heard some people say in the last you know, couple of years that he's the greatest tight end of all time. And that might be stretching it a little bit. But I think you can maybe make a better case, maybe even inarguably, that he's like the best tight end I've ever seen in zone coverage ever. Yeah, and maybe you could say, well, you know, I was going to say maybe best receiving tight end of all time, but I don't know. There's been some pretty good receiving tight ends too. But, yes, you have a point of just yeah. finding a knack. I mean, they talk about it all the time where he's, like, not really running a route. He's just kind of, like, floating out there, and then he finds the soft spot, and uh, Mahomes sees him, and, and they all of a sudden pick up 20 yards. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And uh, as far as the best, quote, receiving in a quote, tight end of all time, that's Kellen Winslow, and that's never going to be topped. George Karloftis, he stepped up in a big way. So, too, did Chris Jones at really timely moments. Uh, Charles Amenowu, though, he had to leave the game with a knee injury. Yeah. Uh, he'll be someone to monitor health uh, for the next two weeks here because he also had a, a pretty impactful game, and he's had an impactful season. Tremendous. Uh, obviously, he had the the sack where he just destroyed Ronnie Stanley on that play, and yeah, not just uh, that injury, but uh, Tone, uh, Joe Tooney and Willie Gay didn't play uh, yesterday uh, with the uh, you know with the peck and the neck injuries respectively. And uh, are those guys going to be healthy for the Super Bowl? Yeah, those are definitely going to be some three key players to continue to monitor health-wise. You know, we talked a lot about dropped passes from wide receivers for the Chiefs all season long. I think the statistics warranted the discussion, but I think it now bears to point out that in some key moments in the Buffalo Bills game and definitely in some key moments yesterday, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had two big catches yesterday, caught him. Uh, two big ones against the Bills. And, and so that's helpful for guys who have been struggling in the regular season to make those those catches in the big moments. No doubt. And Rasheed Rice has become a legitimate big-time player. Uh, and uh, I liked him in college. I uh, thought that he could contribute uh, immediately in his NFL career. Liked where he landed. Obviously, if you're a receiver, and you end up in Kansas City, you got to think, well, this could be a good thing because uh, I got a pretty good quarterback throwing me the ball and a yeah, pretty good play caller and et cetera. I could, I could do this, uh, but I can't imagine there are too many people, even Brett Veach, who's done a tremendous job drafting and acquiring players, especially usually on the defensive side, which is, you know, kind of offset the fact that they've got uh, they had some salary cap questions after the end of last season or really two years ago. Uh, but, you know, Rice has become he's really good and he's only going to get better. And, uh, you know, he's he, he has a really uh, kind of a knack, not necessarily just in the zone thing. He just has you watch receivers and you can kind of get an idea of whether they have an understanding of the game. And it seems like he, at a very young age, has no problem with that. Uh, the running back, Isaiah Pacheco, he ran hard as usual. Didn't see really any 
any adverse effects to the toe injury that he was on the the injury report with, but obviously two two more weeks for him to continue to get healthy. It was also a big part of the passing game in that first half. Uh, to me, yeah, and when they put uh, you know, Clyde in there for a few plays too, it was obvious that one of the big emphasis of their game plan was to you know, use the running backs in the passing game. And that is the one thing that the Baltimore inside linebackers are not great at. And uh, they realized that, and they took advantage of it. And once again, you know, almost all their offense took place in the first half. And I think part of it is I really do think that they took the uh, you know, gas off the pedal, pedal some in the second half because they just didn't think the Ravens were ever going to catch up. Um, we'll save – we got two weeks to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, so we'll put a pin in it That's there. That's exactly correct. <laughs> so we'll put a pin in it for now. And on the other side of the break, we'll talk about the Phoenix Suns. We'll talk about uh, ASU hoops. We'll talk about U of A hoops and their weekend that was. We'll save the NFC conversation for the top of our number two. So we'll get into some hoops talk on the other side of the break. It is the extra point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you on this Monday, January 29th. SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Extra point here on KDOS AM 1060. Follow along online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Taking a break from the NFL discussion, dive into hoops here. The Suns, they've now lost two straight games. The Pacers 133, Suns 131 Friday night. The Magic 113, Suns 98 yesterday. Friday night, Booker, he dropped 62 points, 22 of 37, 6 of 12 from 3. But it was the fourth quarter woes again as the team collectively scored just 17 points and led a huge lead and historic performance from Booker, who had 29 in the first quarter. Uh, fall short they lost the game and then it was a bad game as well because Bradley Beal got hit in the face and broke his nose Sunday Beal played with a mask nine points four of 13 0 of five from three I can't imagine playing with a broken nose and a mask is a whole lot of fun or easy to do Booker though continues his hot streak 44 points 17 of 26 but it's yet again fourth quarter woes only 13 points to the Magic's 31 in that fourth quarter I'm just going to combine these two games together uh, because they're some of the same things we've seen in almost every loss this season. They got outscored 59 to 30 during the fourth quarter in these two losses. 59 to 30. In the two losses, they got outscored 114 to 72. 114 to 72 in points in the paint. The two games combined 45 to 18 in second chance points allowed. 41 turnovers to 24 turnovers in the two games. 
and they gave up uh, 50 or 45 points in the points off the turnovers. It doesn't change, and I don't care who the big three is. I don't care how many points they score. Basically, the bottom line is that their roster, their roster deficiencies, they cannot overcome how good the big three might be on offense. The other thing I will point out, too, uh, turnovers continue to be a problem, too. Suns, 22 turnovers to the right. to the seven turnovers for the Magic in Sunday's game. So, yes, uh, you have a lot of those things cropping up. And um, we've talked about it before that they have to do something before the trade deadline. But are they even in a position salary cap wise to do anything important? Doesn't seem like it from the salary cap experts. And once again, this goes back to what I said in July. This is a horribly constructed roster. And I'm not so sure it's all in the GM because you have a new owner who is into fantasy basketball for constructing your NBA team. And that does not work. Other teams have tried it. It does not work. And I said then... And if it changes, I will be the first person to admit that I'm wrong. But we've got a lot of evidence. we got 46 games into the season, and they're not good. Uh, the Suns, they don't have time to rest. They play again tonight. It's a 5:30 game against uh, the Miami Heat 3 TV. The Suns have also dropped to sixth in the NBA West standing, sitting at 26-20 and 20 on the season. Moving- the Heat have lost six in a row, by the way. They're playing horribly. <laughs> Yes, that trade. And, and a couple of these games, they've gotten destroyed. The trade's actually great, and that gives them a chance long-term when it matters in April and beyond. But you know, they just have been absolutely destroyed in a couple of these recent games. Uh, moving on to ASU basketball, back-to-back losses for them in the state of Oregon. Saturday, it was an 84-71 to loss to Oregon State, and they were just 3 of 26 from behind the arc, and they've now dropped to 5-4 and four in Pac-12 play. Well, they were 5-4-0 and at one point. This is kind of what they are. I mean, they're just not good. Uh, they're an average at best team. They got swept by Oregon and Oregon State. They gave up the still inexplicable 52 points in the second half on Thursday night at Oregon. And on Saturday, they just didn't even compete. Uh, they fell behind 17-5 in that game. Uh, it, you know, the 13-point loss, it was never that. It was not that close. Uh, they gave up 84 points. This is a team that has to be able to defend at a high level to win any game. They gave up 164 points in two games. 164. That's impossible. It's close to impossible. It's only a 40-minute college game. I'm uh, just kind of talking out loud here, but like they're on pace to not make the, the NCAA tournament, and that obviously – is at minimum a goal is they have to- no they have no chance to make the NCAA tournament unless they win the Pac-12 tournament. That's the only chance they have. No, the only way they can get in. So the missing out on the NCAA tournament here, you're going to be moving to a new conference in the Big 12. But the school doesn't have an athletic director as it is right now. Uh, it kind of seems like things are really in flux. Well, I don't think the U of A is going to do any well, any you know, any good in the Pac in the uh, Big Twelve either. Quite frankly, because 
The Big 12 is the best conference in college basketball. They have, I believe, I lost, I can't keep track how many teams are actually in the Big 12. I think there's 14 teams in the Big 12 this year. What I do know is that the last Lunardi uh, projection from last week had 11 teams from the Big 12 in the NCAA tournament. And the U of A, until Saturday, could win a road game. Uh, And uh, I can't imagine ASU with this team and the the schedule they're going to be playing in conference play next year. I can't imagine how they're going to win five conference games, Uh, any more than five conference games in the Big 12. You mentioned U of A there. They bounced back with a win, 87-78 to over Oregon. Caleb Love led the way with 36 points. Also the team hitting it from behind the arc with 10 of 19. Which they've been horrible at, uh, even at home in recent games. That was, to me, the biggest surprise. Well, the biggest surprise is they won the game because I didn't think they'd win. They had one conference road win before. Uh, the uh, game on Saturday, that was at Cal. That was their only conference road victory. They had lost at Stanford, Washington State, and also Oregon State, and really got outplayed in all three of those games. Uh, but they played great on Saturday. Might have been the best game they played home or away this season. Uh, yeah, probably the second best game because they killed Wisconsin at home earlier this year. That's probably the best game they played. But anyway, they, they jumped out to a 17-5 lead. And other than just a brief Oregon rally in the near the end of the first half, there was never any doubt they scored 87 in this game. You mentioned Caleb Love. He obviously went to the Final Four. It's, it's next to last season at uh, North Carolina before he became the most selfish player in college basketball, and they basically told him to leave. And he did, but he had 36 points. Uh, in this game, uh, as you mentioned, that's his career high at Carolina or the U of A. Uh, one other basketball note here, back to the NBA. I saw here, I don't know if this is still just reported or if it's uh, officially signed on the dotted line, but it looks like NBA Commissioner Adam Silver gets an extension yeah. through the end of the decade to continue to lead the way for the NBA. Yeah, I don't think there's you – know, this isn't a story, right? I mean, this would be a story if he wasn't extended. He does have a lot on the horizon here. Makes sense for him to still be at the helm negotiating um, all the different media rights packages that are coming that's up true. at the end of this year. Yeah, it's probably a good idea to give him a contract now. Or if it better, better, good for him to get a contract now because if this goes wrong, who knows? You know, I don't think it's going to go wrong. Because it seems like people love to watch the NBA and they do a tremendous job of marketing their sport. NFC Championship game. The 49ers punch their ticket to another Super Bowl. We'll dissect that contest, get into what this means for the Lions and for the 49ers. We'll also take your calls around 1215-602-260-1060 is the number. Hour number two of the Extra Point coming up on the other side of the break. (laughs) 